0: Hey everyone, this is Grant uh, from the Exploring Middle Earth podcast, and I'm just recording on my phone because I found out I don't have anything necessary to record an actual uh, little mini podcast with a microphone and everything since I'm not with Jay, but here we go. This is the first Rings of Power half hour. Um, As you all know, Rings of Power has come out on Amazon Prime And two episodes actually came out the first night, September 1st. Uh, So I was very excited when I found that out. I thought it was going to be one episode Thursday and then another episode on Friday. But I was very uh, surprised to see that both were up. And of course, I watched both in one night and I watched them again on Friday night. So, you know, (laughs) I guess I am a little excited. But anyways, uh, so I'm just going to go over kind of like a little... I'm really not going to do a huge summary of the first episode since if you're listening to this Rings of Power half hour, then you've likely already seen the episode, so you don't really need a huge overview of it. But I'm going to kind of go over some of the characters, what I liked, what I disliked, what I thought was uh, uh, really good as far as um, storytelling and visuals and whatnot and stuff like that and what I thought was awful, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Some inconsistencies with lore, some with lore that I thought were good those kind of things so without further ado let's begin so in the first episode we start off with um, a young Galadriel and uh, she's kind of she's in Valinor and there's uh, it's very bright and it's very peaceful beautiful and then um, we meet uh, Finrod her older brother Um, and uh, he looks pretty cool he's not exactly how I'm imagine finrod you know but um i mean we've seen pictures of him before in battle but when he's just in his um regular wear in valinor he looks pretty cool he looks very uh, uh how do you like i guess majestic you know as like an elf like a high elf you know so um i thought that was pretty cool but so anyways it kind of goes to you know um the two trees were destroyed and The elves leave Valinor to uh, basically fight uh, Morgoth and his orcs and stuff like that. And we see some uh, dragons and eagles fighting and a lot of orcs and elves fighting as well. And a pretty cool battle scene depiction. Very brief though, but it kind of merged all of them into one. It seemed like because there were no dragons and eagles fighting until the very last war, the War of Wrath. But it made it seem like that was like... Like a regular occurrence throughout the wars of the first age. And then also, when it shows, like on the map, it shows the elves leaving from Valinor to Middle earth. It's just Middle earth as it's seen in the second and third age. There's no Balarian in the first age. So it's kind of like, well, where did all this take place then? You know, that sort of thing. So, and it makes it seem like the Middle-earth as it is on the map in the Third Age has always been like that. So it's kind of, eh, it's okay. But I understand, I mean, they can't use the map of Beleriand because they don't have the rights to it, you know, they don't have the Silmarillion rights, so. Um, and then we've got, uh, it kind of cuts to Galadriel, uh, more grown up, and she is uh, kind of on a, talking about how her brother um, died hunting for sauron which is not altogether true because he was just a he was a king and he liked to stay within his kingdom you know he didn't like part of the whole thing was that he didn't um march in open war for the most part against morgoth um unless it was in the very beginning of the first stage but when he was king of nargothrond he didn't march in open war um just so they could stay hidden and so that's kind of like well no he wasn't actively hunting for Sauron and then but it did show when it showed his dead body and Galadriel was weeping over him it did show some claw marks on his arms which kind of um makes you think okay well maybe they're saying he did die by the werewolves and in, in the pits of Sauron so and that's also another reason why Galadriel's going on this quest to hunt for Sauron as well is because Sauron was responsible for the death of her brother so that's kind of her whole motivation as of right now. So anyways, it, it cuts to her climbing the, that big waterfall on the icy mountain that we saw in previous trailers. Um, and it's confirmed to be Faradwaith, the northern waste. So that's pretty cool. Um, that's kind of our first depiction of Faradwaith. Um, and then she's got some elves with her when she apparently she's the commander of this little, like, uh, squadron of elves, I guess. <laughs> um And they're hunting for uh like any hiding place of orcs or saurons forces and stuff like that that might be hiding and building their strength and um so we get that sort of thing i guess some of the elves in her group are um reluctant to go any further because i guess they've defied orders like they've been gone for so many months now longer than they should have and so they kind of stand up to her and Say we don't want to go up anymore, but they do find an old abandoned fortress from what seems to be the First Age or earlier. And the only thing I can think of is it's not going to be Angband, which is where Morgoth um, had his fortress in the First Age, because that would have likely gone under the waves with Beleriand. It is most likely a Tumno because that was more um, directly above, like uh, door and the Iron or the, uh, what was it? Well, it was the Iron Mountains in the first stage, but the Iron Hills, the Grey Mountains, the Mountains of Angmar, if you see all those on a map, uh, Atumno was pretty much above those, and not farther west in Beleriand. So anyways, it's probably, they're probably hinting at the fact that it's either just an old fortress of his, or it's Atumno, the first uh, fortress of Morgoth, which is kind of cool. But they find a hidden door, they find, um they find this kind of, uh, orc that's like frozen or melted into the wall kind of, and it's kind of hinted at that, um, Galadriel kind of mentions that, uh, the orcs were meddling with the, the things of the unseen world or whatnot. And so that's kind of like, maybe Sauron is like already experimenting with, um, kind of like, uh, turning, uh, living things into like rates so that they can walk in the unseen world as well. So maybe that's, what he'll eventually accomplish with his one ring and his rings of power as well. So that's kind of interesting, just kind of the beginning of that. Um, and then we uh, we cut to some, uh, well, no, hold on. I'm missing a big thing. Uh, Galadriel, and all of her uh, <laughs> warrior queen glory, fights a snow troll basically single-handedly and kills it. I'm not a huge fan of warrior Galadriel, mostly because at this time in the Second Age, even though it's a compressed timeline, but they're most likely making it the end of the Second Age is what it's looking like, um, or towards the end. Galadriel already has a daughter and is married to Celeborn at the time. I feel like she'd be a little more grounded than just going out and killing snow trolls. Not to say that she can't. She probably has the skill and ability to. But I'm just saying I feel it's it's kind of far-fetched. And I I wanted her to use maybe a little bit more magic uh, that she kind of showcases in... Uh, the Lord of the Rings. But maybe that's something, a part of her character arc as well. Maybe she'll kind of uh, learn some more magic-y abilities or whatnot. Um, anyways, uh, then we've got um, the Harfoots. Yep. So the Harfoots, I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised about. I still do not like the idea at all of hobbits and Harfoots and all those kind of things being in the Second Age because they really had no major importance until the late Third Age. And I even saw, I I can't remember who it was, one of the showrunners, Patrick McKay or J.D. Payne or whatever, um, they were talking about how hobbits didn't have any major events um, until the Third Age, but he was talking about the Harfoots likely could have. But no, when Tolkien wrote about the fact that hobbits, he was talking about halflings in general, you know, It wasn't just like it wasn't like oh the specific group of hobbits that came to the Shire didn't have any major events until the Third Age, Um, but then the Harfoots could have well no it's like well they're generally unheard of and the thing that kind of irked me a little bit was uh, I don't know her name but I guess Nori's Nori is like kind of the main Harfoot that we're following. Uh, Nori's mom talks about how elves have their forest. She has a weird accent. Elves have their forest to protect um dwarves their minds and humans their fields of grain um obviously harfoot's like shown how they see the hunters they could have seen men before and they could have seen dwarves passing through and all that sort of thing and it's likely they could have seen elves but they wouldn't know like they wouldn't have names for them you know i mean or like this those specific name elves you know um they would because they wouldn't interact with them they're always hiding as it's shown um and they're scared of the bigger people. So it's like they wouldn't really know who these people are, and they wouldn't really have those specific names. They wouldn't learn anything of their culture. And the thing I still hate the most out of all the Harfoots is Nori's full name, Eleanor Nori Brandyfoot. It is so bad. I hate, I cringe every time I hear it because you know, you know the Amazon was basically just like, oh, yeah, we'll throw out a bunch of like – basically like trigger words that make people think of hobbits from the lord of the rings eleanor i've i've said this countless times eleanor is an elvish word for a flower that grows in Lothlorien. they would have never seen it they would have never heard the word and the spelling is exactly the same they don't have any dealings with elves So I have no clue how she got the name Eleanor. I mean, she could have, it is a common name, but the spelling is different. You know, Eleanor, um, I'm trying to think of a famous Eleanor, like Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, wife of President Theodore Roosevelt, that sort of thing. But it's like, so that spelling could have been a thing. That name could have been a thing with the Harfoots, but it wouldn't be spelled like Eleanor, like the flower. And I don't know, it's just kind of, it makes me annoyed a lot. And then also there's her, um, nickname for Eleanor, which is Nori spelled exactly the same as a dwarven male name. Um, yeah, I mean, they've had dealings with dwarves too, but like, I don't think they would, I mean, I don't know if they've had dealings with dwarves in the second age, you know, cause they're not, they don't crop up in any history of anybody until the third age, which is just bizarre to me. So that she would have both an Elvish name and a Dwarvish name, and then her name for her last name, freaking Brandyfoot, makes me mad too because Brandy is like the the reason they call it um, like the Brandybucks, like Mary Brandy Buck, is because they lived in close proximity to the Brandywine River, which is part of the Shire or like on the border of the Shire, and it's like they wouldn't name their last name after the Brandywine River because they're nowhere close to it. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Okay, enough about that. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I could go on about that sort of thing. You know me. Um, but I guess some uh, Nori's kind of an adventurous Harfoot. I did, like like I was saying earlier before I got interrupted by myself about talking about Nori's name, um, the Harfoots I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised by because i didn't cringe as much as i thought i would um with the harfoots because they did seem um very like very pre-shire hobbits like it's still kind of like oh yeah i guess it's your regular hobbits you know but they just live out in the wild that sort of thing so it still had that kind of atmosphere about it that they're kind of like this like happy um joyful people or merry people that don't really don't really Concern themselves with everything else that's going on in the world. Um, but of course, it seems like Nori is going to change that, as we'll find out later on. Um, and then we kind of get introduced to um, Elrond. He's writing a speech, um, and it turns out it's a speech for Gilgalad because Elrond is apparently a blooming politician um, trying to gain the favor of the High King and attend all of these elf lord councils, which he apparently is not invited to a lot. Um the only thing I don't really I like Elrond his character the only thing I don't really like about it is that he's called a politician. Um I saw someone comment uh it would have been maybe better if he was labeled as a diplomat or something like that cuz Elrond as we know in the second age is actually the commander of the armies of Gilgalad so it's just weird to see him as a politician and Galadriel as a warrior. It's just weird. And then Gilgalad um we're introduced to him as well uh, during the ceremony that kind of uh, awards Galadriel and her fellow elves for their bravery and heroism, uh, defeating the Snow Troll. Um, and gil is kind of like, yeah, our days of peace have started. The war is over. Evil is vanquished in this world. Um, the last remnants have been hunted down thanks to Galadriel and her elves. All this sort of thing. Um, the thing I don't like about that is... Gilgalad is actually one of the people who knows that Sauron is still around and he's not he's not kind of oblivious to what's going on. He like he knows that there's still evil lurking around every corner. If anything, it should be Gilgalad and Elrond who are kind of taking this on. Um and then in some weird twist that I did not like at all, Gilgalad grants the the elf soldiers in Galadriel passage to Valinor as if it's like some sort of like reward that can only be rewarded by the high king he's like oh congrats you're going home back to a land of peace and undying oh my gosh when I first when I first heard that I yeah Jake can probably attest I was just like yeah that does not make any sense first of all the elves can go of their own accord they don't need the approval of the high king and like, it it depends on who those elves were because it was just, like, Galadriel obviously couldn't go back. We've talked about this before, the ban on Galadriel um, and certain other elves. And so it's, like, gilgalad he knows that Galadriel can't go back, so why would he grant her passage to Valinor? It just doesn't make any sense. I just did not like that whole s- sequence right there, but, I mean... Linden, the Elvish Kingdom, looks beautiful. So I there was kinda of hard to complain about that. Everything else was lovely. Um then we kinda get introduced to Arondir, who is a elf um soldier slash warrior, slash um what would you call it? like watchman? I don't know. They're they're watching over he and other elves are watching over this uh, little place called Tirharad or something like that. And it's in the Southlands, which I guess is like in the eastern parts of Mordor. And um, they get the message that the days of peace have begun from Gilgalad that we see earlier, and the elves are um, ordered to go back home. And I guess Arandir has a uh, blooming romance with one of the uh, human uh, women in this town named Bronwyn. And I guess she's like a single mother. She's got a son named Theo. And, um, so it's kind of like, a they don't really do anything about it, but they both know they like each other sort of thing. And, um, Arondir is kind of at risk in getting trouble, uh, because that sort of thing is kind of forbidden. And only a few people have ever had an, uh, you know, an elf human romance, uh, Baron and Luthian, of course, and, uh, Tuor and Idril and Arwen and Aragorn do have an elf and human relationship, but uh, that comes later in the third age. So it's never a thing yet um so we kind of get introduced their storyline i like a um as much as i could argue that the noldor yeah i'm not gonna get into it because i guess he is one of the or, or no i think he's one of the sindar but um as much as i want to argue for the um different races that they have within elves and dwarves. Um, I will not because it's just kind of pointless. You can't really change people's minds on this sort of thing. You know, people are going to believe what they want to believe and people are stubborn nowadays, so I'm just not going to talk about it. Um, But anyways, so I I do like here though. His character's cool. He's a very serious and stoic elf and he kind of is like a... He's kind of giving me a Legolas vibe, but Legolas was almost a little... Goofy in the way that he um, approached things, I guess. Don't get me wrong, Legolas is one of my favorite characters, but Arandir seems more like a, like almost like he has like a darker, like uh, uh, appearance about him, like, uh, or like a backstory, like a darker backstory. Uh, Like he's seen some things, you know, whereas Legolas has lived in the uh, Mirkwood all of his life, probably. And but it seems like maybe a has been in the wars of Beleriand, and he he's kind of seen some things. Um, but I, so I kind of like him, and I like his story a little bit, and how he's kind of like trying to find out like what's going on in the in the Southlands. Like it seems like there's some sort of evil brooding, and so he's trying to figure that out with Brown One. Um, and then Theo, uh, we kind of get introduced to him a little bit. Um, he apparently knows where we're like some ancient little knickknacks are under the floorboards of a barn and he opens up the floorboards and then he finds this like little like a uh, package with uh this old broken sword in it and it has the symbol of sauron that we see earlier in the show as well and um so it's just kind of like uh like what is the sword is it Sauron's sword or is it um is it maybe connected with the Morgul blades that the uh Ringwraiths carry later that sort of thing it definitely kind of gives off that vibe a little bit so maybe maybe Theo becomes a Ringwraith or maybe he is just kind of a part of the story because he discovers the sword and that sort of thing um and then let's see what else do we get introduced to oh and then uh towards the end we get introduced to Celebrimbor um and he's, uh, Elrond mentions that he is, like, he's like, oh, of course, I've heard of Celebrimbor. He's the greatest Elvin Smith, like, of all time, basically. And I was like, well, we all know, as much as maybe some people might dislike Feanor, we all know Feanor was the greatest Elvin Smith um but keller is a close second or third or something like that so it was just kind of like well eh, okay i'll let it slide but um is introduced um we learn or we see more of him not much more of him though uh in the second episode which jay will talk about um but keller so far i do like um based on the second episode i do like him more but in the first episode he's just kind of like it just kind of throws you off you're like oh that's Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor is not even that old I would say but he just seems like an old person because of the actor they chose um but he's really not that old of an elf um yeah and then I guess Elrond is uh he's he's to go like he's been selected by High King gil uh to go with Celebrimbor to work on a secret project for the elves in Eregion um, so I guess this is part of Elrond's, like, building his politician career or diplomat career, whatever you want to say, um, and kind of doing that sort of thing, and maybe building up to the elf that we know him as in the Third Age, a wise elf, uh, skilled in many trades, that sort of thing, and then, um, also at the same time, Galadriel embarks on a voyage to Valinor, and there's this kind of whole ceremony going on where they take the armor off and take their swords away from the elves because they no longer need them in valinor that sort of thing gladriel's reluctant to let go of her brother's uh knife um that she is uh kept kind of as a um i wouldn't say souvenir i don't know what you'd call it anyways so she's kind of reluctant to let go of it and it reminds her of her brother and what her brother kind of uh, gave her advice on of like looking to the light or something like that um faced with the darkness and they're all about to enter valinor the the clouds kind of part and it reveals this radiant light and they're about to enter and then she kind of gets uh second thoughts about it and she dives off of the ship and this is crazy (laughs) and i'm still shocked by that scene because i have freaking no clue why she would do that uh she well okay so if you've ever seen a map of like a full map or even like just in general you know that valinor is across a whole ocean the sundering seas the great eastern ocean bella Geyer. you know that valinor is across the whole sea like it's an ocean apart it, it'd be like someone from new york swimming all the way to the uk so that's what she's planning to do she jumps ship right as they're about to enter valinor And she's like, okay, I guess the only option is to swim. Um, So, yeah, Galadriel jumps ship from Valinor, and she's planning on swimming, basically. That's the only plan you can have. She doesn't even have another ship. She's just in the water, planning on swimming all the way back to Middle-earth. And that's kind of honestly i didn't like that it was, seems like lazy writing and you'll see in episode two if you haven't watched it already it just kind of leads to more lazy writing like oh how convenient you know that sort of thing um yeah and then and then there's uh, a meteor that goes through the sky um a in and bronwyn discover that a village um is burned and pillaged like one of the nearby villages and so they're like oh yeah evil's definitely afoot." <laughs> um and then yeah they see the meteor shoot through the sky all the kind of characters do we see the um we see Gilgalad um and Elrond and Celebrimbor see the meteor pass by um and Galadriel's too focused on being an idiot to see it so I don't think we see her see it um and then we've got uh yeah, Bronwyn and deer see the meteor pass by. We see um, it apparently passes over Fangorn Forest because we see some Ents um, and likely Huorns that see the meteor pass by. So that's kind of cool. Just a little brief glimpse of that. Um, and then, of course, the... Uh, Harfoots see it nori especially and it crashes nearby to nori So she's like, of course, I'm adventuresome. So I'm gonna go check it out And that's kind of where it ends is uh, nori comes up to the crater and it's a crater filled with fire <laughs> There goes my dog again. It's a crater of fire and there's a, a man in the middle of it uh, Just kind of lying down and that's that's uh, where the whole scene ends is it kind of like pans out and it's like right above the man in the middle And it kind of almost like looks like a round eye, a little bit of fire. Um, But of course, that could just be coincidence. I have no clue. But um, yeah, so that's, I mean, like I said, I didn't really want to give a summary. Um, I was just kind of going over some things that were maybe inconsistent with the whole episode or some things I liked about the episode or just kind of like, Major events in the episode, major characters. So far, as far as major characters, we've got Galadriel, um, and then the Harfoots would be Nori, Poppy, uh, Sadok and then whatever Nori's parents are. I don't remember their names. Um, we've got Elrond, Gilgalad, we've got Arondir, Bronwyn, um, Theo, and Celebrimbor and uh of course we get introduced to more characters in the second episode which jay will go over i don't know when he's gonna uh record that or anything but um yeah jay will jay will do that one and um yeah so there are some things too that i I wanted to talk about a little bit uh first of all i mentioned that utumno might be um the fortress that they see uh, with galadriel searching for sauron um and then for some reason, there's no Balerian. Um We've got the unseen and seen world um, that Sauron could be uh, experimenting with. That like Galadriel mentions, we've got, I guess, part of Sauron's whole thing is that he, he is the, the flame. Like his hand is flame unquenched or something like that. So wherever he leaves a mark, like whatever he brands with his symbol it like the heat of it like lingers there which is why galadriel pours water on that like uh anvil and there's still that mark there um and then oh geez my dog okay and then um where was i yeah so that's that's i guess that's his whole thing is that his his hand is flame unquenched and i think that'll crop up uh periodically throughout the show um, just kind of in different symbols are mentioned and it will kind of give hints that maybe this person is Sauron or this person is um, related to Sauron or something like that. Um, the Harfunts aren't half bad, as I was explaining. I was surprised by them, very shyry, um, but also I just didn't like their names very much and also don't like the idea of them being a part of a major story um Southlands the Southland story is pretty cool um Arondir's cool elf uh I like his whole warrior vibe about him and how uh straightforward he is almost and then Galadriel, Elrond and Gilgalad are all kind of weird they've got their weird quirks Gilgalad should be vigilant Galadriel should be with Celeborn and her daughter Calabrian. And Elrond should be the commander of the armies and not a politician, you know, especially at this time in the Second Age. Um, So I was talking about Galadriel being granted passage to Valinor. That thing just kind of irked me. Did not like that. Um, I like Elrond and Galadriel's friendship. It's pretty cool. Uh, Elrond actually becomes Galadriel's son-in-law later on in the early Third Age. Uh, marries Galadriel's daughter, Calabrian, so I hope that's somewhere in there, man. It's gotta be at least, like, Elrond starting a romance with her daughter. But of course they're not gonna have Galadriel, the girl boss queen, be a mother. That's just not how Amazon's gonna do it, apparently. Um, anyways, uh, and then Galadriel jumps ship. That's another thing that I hated, too. I'm like, why? That doesn't make any sense. So other than that kind of stuff, those weird, I think it's kind of bad writing in some areas, but also really good writing in some areas. When Elrond and Galadriel have conversations, those are good. That's good writing. That's good dialogue. It explains a lot. Um, And there's a lot of, like, hidden meanings behind things. And even the locations that they're in are really cool. And it kind of, there's, like, hidden things in there, too. We even see a statue of Finrod that's carving into a tree. And it also shows other statues that were carved into trees. One of them looks like an elf that is holding the dragon helm of Dor which seems not to be because these are all depictions of elves carved into the trees and not humans. So it wouldn't be Turin who has the dragon helm or any of other Turin's ancestors. It would most likely be, um, I think, I can't remember if it's Fingon or Fingolfin. I think it's Fingon who was gifted the dragon helm by um, the dwarves, of the Blue Mountains, and then Fingon eventually gave it to the, um, the humans that lived in his kingdom as well. So it was originally Fingon, so I think that's Fingon, uh, his statue, and then also shows a statue of Luthien with the, um, the wolfhound Huon, um, which helped kill the werewolf Karkaroth and Drogluin. So, uh, just kind of like little, cool little, like, like, uh, callbacks to the Silmarillion and stuff that they didn't explicitly use or say or anything like that but so that was kind of cool and then we've got um yeah so like I was saying the writing good writing is good in some uh scenes and kind of lazy and bad in the others Uh, but overall the visuals the production the music it's all incredible very well made um you know, I feel like $500 million they could have done better in preparation for all the lore and stuff like that. But, of course, when you're at adapting a book and these like kind of lost writings and stuff, there's going to be some inconsistencies and you're going to have to take some things out. I understand that. I didn't like the things that they did change, but whatever. I can't change it now. So, um, I would say, overall, enjoyable for new fans and casual fans and people who haven't maybe read The Silmarillion or read The Appendices. But it's annoying, and but a little a little enjoyable. But it's very annoying for hardcore fans like uh, Jay and I who have read all those things and have read those things year after year, and um, and enjoy reading those kind of obscure writings and digging into the lore and stuff like that. And when you see that the lore has been changed and some of the things just don't make sense, it's hard to enjoy it. I personally enjoyed it. I would rate it a. Mm, 7 out of 10 because there are some things that were good there are some things that were very bad um, I would say I mean I haven't seen the whole show yet of course um, so we'll I'll give it a final rating after that but I would say it's looking to be at least as good as the Hobbit trilogy if not slightly better in terms of what we've got for production writing, acting, casting, lore all that sort of thing so um that's my official summary overview it was kind of haphazard sorry everyone but uh that's just that's just how it was I was a little underprepared and I had to get it done within a few days and uh, I didn't really have a mic or anything set up to do it so this is just kind of um touch and go for me uh so hopefully it made sense and hopefully you guys were able to glean a few things off uh from what I had to say um so uh I look forward to watching more, honestly, Um, even though I know I'm going to be annoyed and I know I'm going to be critical, but I look forward to watching more. And uh, stay tuned for Jay's episode two overview. See ya.